Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke in the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give all glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I please. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are truly the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, As far as church seasons go, Lent is fairly famous for a few key features. We put purple everywhere. We know that Easter is sort of coming in a couple weeks' time. We have lots and lots of extra church services that you all are very excited to come and attend at odd hours in the evening. We don't sing or say the word Alleluia for these seven or eight weeks. And finally, we have this idea that Lent is a season of fasting. We're supposed to be giving things up for this season. And for most of the church around the world, at least for the past several hundred years, fasting doesn't always mean like a literal abstention from food. But it's sort of this idea that you give up something in your life for a spiritual purpose. Now, we don't often talk about fasting as a spiritual discipline or a practice of our faith and our tradition. And so I think it becomes really easy for us to sort of think, oh, fasting, that's easy, you just give something up, but we don't really think through why we do it or how we should fast. What is the purpose of this practice as a spiritual discipline of this season? And it's not just a practice of the season of Lent, it's actually a practice that we should be engaging in during the season of Advent as well. Advent and Lent are the traditional seasons of fasting in the Christian church. Now, I am the poster child for every fasting mistake and stereotype you could probably imagine someone doing. So, I mean, let's just start with a list, a not complete list, a short list of the things that I have fasted from for Lent in the past decade or so. I have given up caffeine. I've, of course, given up sugar and other forms of desserts. Obviously, I've done chocolate once. I've done ice cream. I've done a combination of chocolate and ice cream. I've done all desserts or all sugar all together, which led to this rather odd time in high school when I was like, no, 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 fruits have sugar in them, Mom. I can't eat fruit during Lent, which drove my parents insane. 
I went through a year where I fasted from meat, and then the next year, to one-up myself, I decided to be a full vegan, which, again, my parents were not a huge fan of because I was 16 and I was eating my mom's cooking, but demanding that she suddenly cook vegan for the whole family that year. I have given up television and Facebook and online, like, internet games and other things that are sort of a waste of my time here and there. I have actually given up food for several days in a row, never for the full 40 days of Lent. There was one year in college where it was sort of cool and everyone was giving up any kind of drinks except for water for 40 days. I mean... Really, I could keep going, but suffice it to say that if you can think of something that people stereotypically have tried to give up for Lent, I guarantee you that I have tried some version of that in the past several years. So those are the things that I've given up for Lent, but let's, uh, let's talk about my motivations for fasting. I mean, theoretically, I can tell you that I do it because it's something I should do, like Good Christians fast during Lent. It's, you know, in the Bible or something like that. And if people ask me why I fast, that's generally what I'll say to them. But that's a pretty thinly veiled veneer of righteousness right there. But below that, I have other motivations for things that I have given up during the season of Lent. Of course, I have fasted from sugar or various other kinds of food because secretly I'm really hoping to lose 5 or maybe 10 pounds before the summer hits. And I've fasted from caffeine and TV and other things that have become a habit in my life because I just, I've heard somewhere or read a study that maybe they're bad for me, so I should do something good for myself instead. I've fasted from things that I'm hoping will become a long-term habit, like Oh, if I just don't eat, you know, dessert for 40 days, then after Lent is done, this will be an easy thing for me to just keep doing. I'm creating good habits in my life, which is sort of ridiculous. That's not a fast. By definition, a fast is something that you give up for a period of time and then intend to pick back up again once your fast is over. It's not about this sort of selfish aspect of breaking a bad habit. I have fasted from things that were trendy at the time because it allowed me to fit in with my peer group. And perhaps my favorite motivation for any Lenten fast I've ever undertaken was when I was in high school. And I would fast during Lent because I really thought it would impress the boy that I had a huge crush on at the time. Because, like, what, boys are impressed by religious piety? Like, that's insane. Boys don't actually like fasting. um, But you have to remember... When I was in high school, and even to this day, I was kind of a weird, sheltered church nerd. So I legitimately believed that maybe Stevie Weller would notice that I was, like, really taking my Lenten fast seriously, and he would like me for that. Not the world's greatest motivation for a spiritual practice. But the long and short of this is that I'm kind of an individual walking repository of every example of unnecessary things to fast from and terrible motivations to engage in this particular spiritual discipline. And I don't think I'm alone in this. In fact, I know I'm not. I talk to my mom and my sister and my friends, and I feel like these are kind of common stories that people have around Lent. But once again, here we are. It's the first Sunday in Lent, and so fasting pops up. It's in our scripture for today. I noticed it on Facebook this week. There were like articles and people saying, I'm giving up Facebook for Lent. If you need to contact me, pick up a phone or write me a letter. Uh, And so it's sort of 
it was on my mind, and it started to nag at me. And I had these questions like, why do we fast? And what should we fast from? And how should we go about this particular practice? What's the whole point of fasting? And our story for today is sort of the place where fasting comes to us in our Lenten tradition. It's the story of Jesus. He's probably around his 30th birthday or so. And up until this point in his life, Jesus has been one of those annoying 20-somethings who just won't move out of his parents' house. He's been living at home with his dad, being a carpenter, building a table here or a chair there. And then somewhere around the age of 30, things change for him. He goes out and he gets baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan out on the edge of the wilderness. And as soon as his baptism takes place, he is carried out into the desert for this period of 40 days of fasting and prayer and temptation. And that 40 days should sound familiar. That's where we get our 40-day tradition for Lent as well. It's this 40 days in the wilderness. So for this period of time, Jesus goes without food, and he's out in the desert by himself praying and communing with God. And scripture tells us he's also being tempted by the devil. And we get this kind of wild, wacky story about the devil showing up next to Jesus and starting to offer him all of these great temptations out there. And it's kind of a weird story. It's a little hard to relate to because the things the devil's tempting Jesus with, on the surface, they don't sound that relatable. But really, I think when we kind of take the weirdness out of this story, the devil's offering Jesus things that kind of hit at the core of what all people are really tempted by. So the first thing he does is he says, you know what, Jesus, you're so hungry. Why don't you just, why don't you just turn these stones into some bread? It'll taste good. It'll feel good. And like, you know, you have the power to do that, don't you? So why don't you prove it to me? Just, just turn these stones into some bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 I don't need to show my power to you. You know, we don't live by bread alone. Okay, the devil says, well, let's try this then. Why don't you, why don't you just bow down to me? It's not that hard. Look, look at all of these nations and kingdoms of the world, everyone out there. You can have fame and power and glory. All of these people will love and respect and bow down to you. All you have to do is worship me. Not a big deal. Just bow down to me. It'll be our little secret. And then all of this fame and power will be yours. And Jesus says, no, we're only supposed to worship God. I'm just, I'm not going to go with that one. So finally, the devil takes Jesus up onto the highest point of the temple and says, you know what? God promises you in scripture that God's going to take care of you. Says you're not going to even stub your toe on a rock. So why don't you just go ahead and prove to me that your God is real? Prove it. Jump off the edge of this tower here and the angels are going to catch you. And Jesus says, you know what? God also says we shouldn't test. So no. I'm not going to. And although this story is sort of mythic and a little ridiculous in its presentation, like the devil doesn't regularly pop up in an embodied form next to any one of us, asking us to just go ahead and bow down and we'll have all the fame in the world, the fact is that what the devil is offering Jesus here are things that we as everyday people can relate to, to prove our own power, our own worth, our own work in the world to gain fame and glory and the respect of other people, to be so sure of the power and the presence of God that we could actually prove that in a concrete, visible way, to be caught by the angels themselves. 
And in each of these three cases, Jesus, of course, turns away from the temptation. He quotes scripture, and he seems to sort of draw on this well of connection to God that he has established in order to turn down these tempting offers. And when the temptations have passed, we're told from other Gospels that what happened is that God sends the angels and they take Jesus and they feed him bread and they care for him after this exhausting trial in the desert. And then Jesus picks himself up and he goes about to begin his three years of ministry, teaching and preaching and healing and offering care, all those stories that we know so well. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, some sort of necessary spiritual preparation for what he was here to do. So it's sort of odd on one hand that this is our story that Lenten fasting comes from because we don't spend Lent like talking about the devil on our shoulder prodding us to jump off the church tower. We focus on this little detail of the story, the fact that Jesus fasted for 40 days before these temptations came about. But all the same, if this is where our story comes from, we should ask those questions. What can we learn from this story? What can we emulate? What do we learn here about the role of fasting? So first, I would say that we should talk about the purpose of a fast. Fasting is not about our own sort of personal self-attainment, some sort of making ourselves better people. It's not about losing weight or improving ourselves in superficial ways. It's not about breaking a bad habit or even creating a new positive habit. Fasting is the act of stripping away something that is necessary, something that we carry with us all the time. Perhaps it is food, or maybe it's something that we engage a lot of time in our life with. Maybe, as some of my friends have done, you simplify your wardrobe for a period of time. You just don't even spend time thinking about the clothes that you wear. You wear one of these five dresses, and that is it for the whole month. You strip away something that is typical and normal and feels necessary to your life so that you have time and space to be reminded of who God is and who God is calling you to be. After fasting from food for 40 days in the desert, Jesus is obviously not only completely starving, very hungry, but he's in this very sort of sensitive position at that point. He's at the apex of where everything has been taken away. And the image that we get of Jesus at the end of this time in the desert is that he's very open to and attuned to the presence of God, to the words of scripture. And it makes him also somewhat vulnerable to these temptations of the devil. So it's not really surprising that the devil shows up at this point, and these aren't arbitrary temptations, as we've seen. They are temptations that are going to reveal something important about the core of Jesus' own heart and the core of who we as people are as well. He had to have been legitimately tempted by these things. Otherwise, this would just be a little throwaway story that wouldn't have made it into Scripture These things, to reveal his own power, to receive glory from the nations, to prove the existence of God, they're things that reveal an edge to who Jesus is. And I think that in fasting, he prepares himself to come to this point where he sees, he comes to the edge, the potential pitfalls that he will experience in ministry, but that through fasting, through prayer, and this time of communion with God, he is prepared to face those edges of himself. He's prepared to turn down very tempting offers. 
So I think fasting is, in fact, part of spiritual preparation for us. It's this preparation for Jesus' ministry. It's an invitation for us to become prepared to be who God wants us to be. And when we fast well, which I admittedly really am not sure I've ever fasted well in my life, but I think when we fast well, we are removing something that costs us something. It's something that's going to constantly remind us that it has been lost for a season. And that in that constant reminder, hopefully that reveals something about ourselves. Fasting can reveal really painful aspects of our own relationships, perhaps uh, our relationship to food or our relationship to luxury, our relationships and our desire to consume, both literally and more figuratively. Fasting shows us those edges where our patience starts to run thin, where you know, we have some shortcomings or some sharp edges in our generosity towards other people. I think fasting thins out part of our outer shells, and it creates these sort of vulnerable, tender little places where God can reach in and stir our hearts and push us toward becoming more who we were created to be. I think, in short, fasting is a practice that is supposed to bring us closer to God and closer to one another even though the process by its very nature is supposed to be physically or emotionally exhausting to us. Now, the second thing I hear in this story about Jesus is that we need to fast from something necessary. I love that in this story, Jesus literally gives up food. I mean, food is the sort of quintessential classic example of fasting, of course, and it's core to his existence. It's core to all of our existence. And if you fast from food, you are going to be literally reminded of your fast nearly constantly. We're never more than a few hours away from thinking about food again. We have at least three meals a day. We have these built-in times that we naturally think about food. But on top of that, when you fast from food, you actually have this physical reminder. You are hungry. There's this visceral, constant companion to the fast. Now... I don't think fasting literally needs to be from food in order to be worthwhile. I just think that fasting needs to be somewhat costly. It needs to have a little constant reminder in your brain that tips you back to thinking about God, to thinking about why you're fasting in the first place. For me, I found that fasting from like caffeinated beverages in general is actually kind of a good fast because I drink tea usually through the morning. I'll drink coffee when I'm out at meetings. I'll usually have a Diet Coke or something like that in the afternoon. So for me, giving up caffeine builds in several places throughout my day where I might go to the cupboard to make myself a cup of tea and realize, oh, right, I gave that up. I'm fasting right now. And there's even sort of that little added bit that for the first couple weeks I get the caffeine headache from going completely cold turkey. So there's this physical reminder of what I'm doing as well. It's a silly little thing, but it is in some ways a costly fast for me. It's noticeable. It has markers throughout my day that remind me of what I'm doing. Which sort of leads me to the third thing I see in this story of Jesus, that we need to make sure that our seasons of fasting have a start and an end to them. Fasting should not be some misguided idea about improving ourselves for the long run. You know, you don't give up ice cream for Lent in hopes that you're never going to want ice cream again. It's not about kicking a habit. Fasting, by its own very definition, is a limited activity. Jesus fasted for 40 days. In Lent, we fast from Ash Wednesday to right before Easter. 
in Advent, we fast from the first Sunday of Advent up until Christmas Eve. These are set, limited seasons. Even in other traditions, um, in Islam, the month of Ramadan, their month of fasting, they have intentional limits built in. They do not eat from sunup until sundown, but they do eat at night. And it's one month. It's marked by festivals at the beginning and the end. Fasting isn't about long-term deprivation. Fasting is about a season, a set period of time when we're trying to sharpen our focus on God by taking away something necessary. And I think it makes it more endurable and doable for us to give up something costly if we know that there is an end to that. I think humans sort of have remarkable endurance if we can see a light at the end of the tunnel, if we know that this isn't forever and for all time. Um, this week, I don't know if some of you saw this, it was popping up all over the place on my Facebook page from people, um, but the Pope encouraged Catholics this week to fast a little differently this year. He had this very nice sermon where he spoke about the idea that we should fast from our indifference to other people, that we should in this season try to care very deeply about the concerns and the challenges that other people face. And when I read that, I thought at first, like, yeah, that's a great thing to fast from. We should not be indifferent to other people. We should care about people. Good job, Pope. I am on board. And then I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, actually, that's a terrible fast, with all due respect to Pope Francis. I mean, I think he's probably more spiritually developed than I am and could handle an idea of fasting from indifference. But for me, that would not work at all, because my own... Points of indifference toward the pain and suffering of other people, it's so ingrained in the way that I interact with the world, with the news that I choose to read and the ways that I choose to see other people around me. I can't fast from that because it's so much a part of who I am. I don't have any reminders that would stop me to say, oh, I'm, I'm being indifferent to others. I should care a little bit more about this. I actually need some sort of physical reminder that maybe during the season of Lent, giving up caffeine or food or whatever it happens to be, maybe that reminder of being hungry says that I should focus on the concerns and cares of others in the world around me. But simply saying that I'm fasting from indifference just doesn't work. Because sort of ironically, I would be fasting from indifference and then I would be indifferent to my fasting from indifference because I just don't have the ability to think about something so ethereal during Lent. If that works for you, if it works for the Pope, then more power to you, but that is not where I'm at right now. But the invitation of the season of Lent is that fasting can be a part of our spiritual practice. Now, it doesn't have to be. Like, please don't hear what I'm not saying at this point. I'm not saying that everyone in this church should go home and give up food for the rest of the Lenten season. I actually think that's a terrible idea, and you need to check with your doctor first. Like, I am not dispensing advice about what you should and should not eat. And I'm not telling you that you have to fast in order to get closer to God. There are so many spiritual disciplines and practices out there that might work for you in this season of Lent. Fasting is just one of an array of different things you can do. Singing and serving the community, sharing in conversations with other people, reading parts of scripture, praying intentionally, writing in a journal. I mean, there's just like countless ideas of things you can do to in to sort of encourage your relationship with God. 
I'm simply saying that fasting is one possible avenue for spiritual discipline in this season. It's one way of allowing ourselves to be a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more open to who God is and what God is asking from us. And again, it doesn't have to be about literal food. So long as we fast from something that gives us a reminder of what we're doing and reminds us to focus back on what God is calling us to do, I think that works for this season. Now, I'm grateful for this spiritual discipline, even though I'm absolutely awful at practicing it personally. And I am going to continue to be that person who every Lent and every Advent, I'm going to try to fast, and I'm going to continue making silly, selfish mistakes along the way. I just know that. I know myself well enough to know that. But I'm really grateful that every year we're invited back into this one more time. I'm really grateful that once again we have this story to remind us that fasting is available to us. It's this good reminder, a good invitation, that we can, in fact, move a little bit closer to the presence of God. And I suppose this year I will also give thanks for the fact that, um, you know, it's taken many, many years for me to come to this point, but I do think that engaging in spiritual practices year after year can start to change us because I at least have one good change in my practice of fasting, and that is the fact that I no longer fast to impress boys. Like, I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I have improved in at least one little area. I have gotten a little closer to God in that part of myself. So I would invite us in the season ahead to consider the spiritual discipline of fasting and to give thanks for God to God for the many ways that we are invited to get a little closer to the person and the work of Christ through our interactions with the world. So thanks be to God. Amen.